Welcome to episode 11 of the Dicecast. Episode 11, Fan Expo 2010. again on Dicecast talking about Fan Expo 2010. Uh, we have a few interviews uh, coming up next. The Steampunk guest of honor, Leanne Feruga. Sci-fi burlesque crew, Babes in Space. Interview with a new Star Wars fan film. And a special interview with Robin D. Laws. And a special appearance by William Shatner. That's right, folks. You heard that right. William Shatner does make an indirect appearance here on Dicecast, though he doesn't say anything his entourage does. These were a whole bunch of interviews that were recorded at Fan Expo 2010 back in August of 2010 in Toronto, Canada. It's a multi-genre, multimedia convention held every August in Toronto at the Metro Toronto Convention Center the weekend before Labor Day weekend, and it has just about everything there from gaming to sci-fi to anime to horror, you name it. So let's talk about some of these interviews you did here. Well, actually, we did these interviews pretty much throughout the weekend, and what a crazy weekend that was. I mean, at one point, they even had to close down the door on Fun Expo. They had to actually reach building capacity. Yeah, and that building capacity for the north end of the MTCC is 60,000. Yeah, it was just completely crazy. So it was a little difficult to actually record a lot of things without having a lot of the background noise. A lot of this was done... Uh, next to the booths uh, where these uh, people actually uh, were stationed. So uh, For signing autographs. Yeah, well, for signing autographs and some of them and then just showing off the film, like the, the Star Wars fan film. It, it was crazy, so it was kind of difficult to get some good audio and um, obviously we got in the, uh, a few interviews in there anyway, but uh, you know the quality might be a little bit... Uh, um, it's, it's location recording. Yeah. Okay, so like uh, your first interview is with uh, Leanne Feruga of Steampunk Canada. Tell us a little about her and what she does. Well, Leanne Feruga was the guest of honor at Fan Expo 2010 for the Steampunk. Uh, St- uh, steampunk Canada is a nonprofit basically uh, promoting steampunk. And anyway, steampunk is essentially like cyberpunk, but instead of modern day. Uh, you know, futuristic technology. We're talking like 19th century gears and steam type of thing. Yeah, the, the way like 19th century sci-fi writers like Jules Verne uh, imagined the way advanced technology would be. Before yeah, and, and, and a little bit more advanced than that. I mean, it, it's not just like the standard science fiction from the 19th century that you could read. It, it's it's basically what if cyberpunk was being transposed to the 19th century. So they they've got like mechanical arms and 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 
and you know mechas and and, and flying ships and that sort of thing which I, I guess it's it's a border it's between fantasy I guess and science fiction and I think it's a genre of its own because of the unique appeal of the way the costume looks like if if you've been to convention you've probably seen a lot of these people in Victorian costumes and the goggles is essentially you know the sort of like the aviator's goggle is a major uh, symbol I guess uh, for for this culture yeah, it's sort of like almost like the cat ears are for anime fans yeah or, or black cloaks for vampires it's a little bit more complex than that it's a bit more diverse just like every genre and and sort of hobby out there there, there are various takes on it and Leon Faruga being one of the people who are spearheading the movement in Canada um, actually uh, gave us quite a few descriptions about that okay so let's hear Leanne Faruga of steampunk Canada right after this HammerCon 2, The Wrath of Con. Come play, win prizes, get your game on at HammerCon on Saturday, November 6th in Hamilton, Ontario at the Downtown Plaza Hamilton Hotel. You name it, we have it. Tabletop and live action RPGs, board games, miniatures, cards. Come check out our full list of events at www.hammercon.ca. We feature speed gaming, a non-stop experience of nine new games by nine great game designers, the Cthulhu Cup, a competitive role-playing tournament, the Great Canadian Board Game Blitz Regional Qualifier, Steve Jackson Munchkin Preliminaries, Magic the Gathering Tournament, Vampire and Mage LARPs, Games Workshop Tournaments, and more. Pre-register today to take part in these events or over 50 others. Brought to you by the Hammer Games community and all of our generous sponsors. www.hammercon.ca here we are, Dicecast at Fan Expo 2010. I'm with the uh, steampunk guest of honor, Leanne Faruga. Leanne, welcome to the show. Hello, welcome. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, welcome too. <laughs> Sorry, I have to. I'm used to being the hostess, so that's why I say that all the time. <laughs> so, Leanne is the founder of uh, Steampunk Canada, and I guess for most people who are listening to the show, uh, what is Steampunk Canada and what does your organization do? Steampunk Canada helps all the local groups across Canada. There's quite a few, and it's growing. And we've there's groups from Newfoundland now to Vancouver. And um, Steampunk Canada just helps them to coordinate. We've got a calendar on the website, so we have all the events. So if people are looking for a local group, they can come. There's links to them. If they're looking for an event, they can come check at the calendar. People are sharing photos. They're talking on the forum. It's just a place for everyone across Canada to meet. And for people who have been, you know, sleeping under a rock for all these years, what is steampunk? <laughs> steampunk is very basically based on um, Victorian science fiction. So it started with H.G. Uh, Wells, Jules Verne, uh, so 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, A League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, Murdoch Mysteries, if anybody's been watching that recently. Um, but it also encompasses anything from steam technology. So it, People are doing things in an apocalyptic age, so but with a Victorian blend. But people, it's fun because it's not period. People can play with it, and um, it's it's hard to explain. If you ask ten steampunks what it is, you're going to get eleven answers. So. I mean, I guess a lot of people they, they see there's the costumes and uh, the goggles, uh, the, the the steam elements, uh, cyberware, actually. Uh, I guess Victorian wear, um, but is it a LARP? Is it role playing? Is it cosplaying? Is it what is it? I mean, is it, is there a consensus, or is is it everybody like trying to figure out a, a way of describing it? It covers. It's really very laid back in in that it. 
people do all kinds of things. There are LARPs, there are role-playing games, there are people who costume, there are people who don't. There are gentlemen who are in their 70s who just like the tinkering. There are little kids that are into it for the dress-up. There are ladies who are loving it because they can dress up or they can wear pants and be a sky pirate. It covers so many different areas and so that's why it's got such a wide appeal. And what prompted you to create Steampunk Canada? <laughs> My husband and I started Steampunk Ottawa which is now running well on its own. We have a number of administrators. And uh, I kept looking for somewhere that was connecting everybody across Canada, and there was nothing, and so I just did it. So first Ottawa, then Canada, then U.S., the world, Mexico? Oh, let me tell you, in the U.S., it's, it's gangbusters. In the U.K., it's, it's huge. Canada's actually sort of slow on the uptake on the steampunk. So we're growing, but, um, yeah, the world is other. Although I'm, people know me around the world. So we've got a lot of contacts. Do you go to many conventions? We've just started. We went to uh, one at the Steampunk World Fair in New Jersey. That was in May, and uh, that was quite something. It was a lot of fun. Um, we hope to go to the Asylum at some point in London, which is another big one, which is quite good. Steamcon is out in Seattle, which is another one I'd love to get to. We have one that's going to be going on in um, uh, April 29th to May 1st uh, in the Toronto area, called the Canadian Steampunk uh, Canadian National Steampunk Exhibition. Is that the first edition? Yes, it'll be the premier one. We've already got a number of guests and a number of vendors who are very interested in coming. The hotel is already booked. Registration will be starting up soon. And if people wanted to uh, uh, find more information, I guess it's on your website. Was your website or is there a speci specific website for this convention? Uh, well, they can go to steampunkcanada.ca and there is a page for it as well. But there is also a website as well and it's cnse.ca. So maybe steampunkcanada.ca is probably easier to remember. Yeah. <laughs> and they can go from there. There's links. So, um, how's it being a guest here at Fan Expo? How do you like it so far? It's fun, a little tiring, but it's quite fun. Uh, we have the panel this afternoon at 3.30, er, yeah, 3.30, so that'll be uh, quite interesting. We've got a number of really good people that are going to be there. And where do you see Steampunk going uh, uh, from here and, and now? I mean, it, it's for many people, it, it's... It, it probably is a little bit older than what people think because it, it's getting more, it, you're more visible now with the websites and the associations. Um, it started what, a couple of years ago? Well, I mean, technically it started in the Victorian period, <laughs> if you want to do it that way. But um, then the name came out in the 80s, almost as a joke. And then about 2007 is when it really started to take off. So it's only been the last three years and that it's been growing. But it's becoming quite a huge community and it's growing and people are really enjoying it and having a lot of fun with it. So I see it continuing to grow. It's um, there, there is some side of it in the mainstream and some people say oh it's dead and such but no it's not really you're still gonna have fun with it and if it's in the mainstream then you have more opportunity to buy things for it <laughs> um, and that's an interesting comment you made that there's a lot of people who make jewelry for steampunk and and it's a very beautiful stuff um, uh, is that is there some do you think there will be stores opening up just dedicated to steampunk or is it, is it getting big enough for that or I'm not sure about stores I know that there are a number of steampunk bars that are opened up now. Steampunk bars? Oh yes, yes, in New York and uh, in California as well. And um, there's certainly a lot of um, other venues that are doing steampunk events, and uh, which is great for people to go out and get dressed up for. Um, I think there's a lot of places that are going to have more clothing and such, but I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of online stores. And actually, no, that's not true. I think uh, Clockwork Couture is actually opening up a storefront. So that's the first one. So there may be, actually. 
Now, uh, where do you see Steampunk going in the next years? Do you think it's a fad or do you think it's there to stay? No, I think it's there to stay. I think it's going to be another big genre and it's going to stick around and people are really enjoying it and um, I don't know if it'll get as big as Star Wars, but <laughs> certainly there are enough people coming and once they realize what it is and, what, and that they've seen it and such and always enjoyed it, then they get quite involved. Do, do you uh, sometimes recruit people from like other organizations like the 501st Legion and like yeah. leech people off them? Do you have like some kind of like a, you know, war going on between the genres? Yeah, definitely no wars. <laughs> there are a lot of people that will um, mix the genres. So we have seen um, uh, steampunk Star Wars. Steampunk troopers? I don't know if we've seen any troopers, but a lot of the other characters, people have been doing it, and it's quite nice. And um, there's a lot of people that are um, in the goth um, areas that uh, are doing steampunk things as well because it does cover because it's not just sort of steam there's um, a lot of uh, the gaslight um, horror kind of from the period as well Dracula vampires and things like that that uh, kind of cross over there's a book I don't know if you've heard Gail Carringer uh, has a series and the first one's called Soulless and it's based in the Victorian period and there's werewolves and vampires and such and it's very steampunk as well and so that's attracting a lot of different people from different areas um, somebody remarked at one point that uh, live-action games of the, you know vampires and yeah. so on um, are sort of moving, migrating to more steampunk uh, LARPs. Is that something that you see in Ottawa, Toronto? Have you seen that yourself? Uh, Montreal actually has uh, quite a big one, and they're on the website on the Canada um, Canada. Uh, sorry, steampunkcanada.ca. They've got uh, a piece there about their LARP that they're doing in Montreal. So that's the biggest one I know of. Um, I know there are a few other ones. Um, certainly there are a lot more LARPs, uh, steampunk LARPs, that are mixing or just doing strictly steampunk. Um, and as far as I know, I'm having quite a good time with it. Now, um, maybe, do you have any final comments uh, for everybody who is a steampunk out there? Um, what would you have to tell the, you know, to the whole community if you had to give them a 10 minute like little speech? <laughs> well, you don't have to do 10 minutes. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't know if I could do 10 minutes right now, but um, just to continue to have fun with it and um, use your imagination, don't get stuck in, you know, it has to be this way and um, spread the word and get more groups started so we can do more things. And uh, how does somebody get a group started? Like, what do you think would be the best way to do it? The easiest thing we're telling people is to, it, you don't have to start up a website. You can start a group up on Facebook. We'll, and then just simply let us know. You can send me an email. We'll get it up, your group uh, link on the Steampunk Canada site. Uh, we'll also link you on the Facebook Steampunk Canada site. And we'll let people know. And if you have events, all the events go on the calendar as well. And then you go from there. So and the easiest thing to do, we tell people, have a tea. Have a tea at a hotel, at your house just to get people to come and talk about what you can go do from there. Have a tea party? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, anybody is interested, well, you can find uh, Leanne Faruga's contact on her website at steampunkcanada.ca. Send her an email. She's always eager to respond to other fellow steampunk people. And Leanne, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. Well, that was interesting. Uh, it's good to hear always that there are people developing new subcultures that you can hear about and well, promoting see. most likely yeah well, promoting a new subcultures or or old subcultures in a new way that you can see on the convention circuit they are doing something new and different here which is good to see now well, speaking new and different there was a very interesting booth at uh, fan expo and I was attracted 
tour this uh, interesting show that they were putting on. It's called Babes in Space. Babes in Space. Uh, it's basically a show where, well, it's not what you think. I mean, it, it's a burlesque show where very attractive girls who wear very, well, clothes that are, well, and then eventually... Not, and look what she's not wearing is the polite way of saying it. No, she'll take it off later. Apparently, apparently that's, that's what they said. It was, oh, it was, okay. It was, it was very hard to, um, <clears throat> yeah, but I, I'm sure it's, it's, it's what fans really want. It's a sci-fi burlesque show. A sci-fi burlesque show involving nudity, apparently. But don't quote me on it. I'm not sure. And this is in Toronto. In Toronto. Got to call a travel agent after we're done recording this. Go on. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so it's called sci uh, uh, Babes in Space. But in, in all honesty, I mean, it's it's basically uh, uh, a show that's being put up by these uh, girls who are also fans of, of science fiction. And it's as much a celebration of sci-fi and um, cult TV and so on as any other conventions, really. I mean, it's a different medium of doing it. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily think of doing a burlesque show. And, I don't um, think anybody wants to see you doing a burlesque show on any I, subject. I look, I, I look good. I mean, haven't you yeah, looked Moulin Rouge? I mean, I mean, there long, were guys in Moulin Rouge. As long as you're fully clothed, Kirk was in Moulin fine. Rouge, but there were guys in Moulin Rouge. Moving right along. <laughs> anyway, uh, without further ado, Babes in Space. Babes. So I'm here at Fan Expo 2010, and I'm here with Red Herring or Rena Smith. Uh, which of uh, the two you prefer? Red Herring. And... Uh, you're with a show called Babes in Space. Yes, I'm actually producing a show called Babes in Space. It's Star Trek versus Star Wars burlesque. And uh, for people who don't know, what is it about? It's going to be Star Trek facing off against Star Wars and gorgeous girls, some of the best burlesque dancers in Toronto, taking off their clothes to battle it out. Right. And um, so the, uh, the show, has it been going on for a while? No, this is the first show that I'm producing by myself, and it's showing one time only. If it goes well, then we'll show it a couple times more, but I also produce for Circus Entertainment and Lady Luck Productions, so I'll be producing quite a few shows over the course of the year. And um, for... Uh, uh, where will it be, and uh, is it going to be here in Toronto? Yes, it'll be here in Toronto at the Rivoli, and doors are at 8. It's going to be September 2nd, which is Thursday, and a great way to kick off the long weekend. Perfect. Now, um, your booth is here at Fan Expo. You've got people dressed up in blue body paint, green body paint, Orion Slaves Girl. I mean, William Shatner is coming tomorrow. Don't you think that's a little bit dangerous for you guys? I don't think it's dangerous at all. William Shatner is going to have an eight-hour lineup, and they're all my target audience. All right. Well, thank you very much for being on the show, and good luck. Thank you. Wow, that sounds like it was quite a show by Red Herring Productions. Moving right along, who do we have next? Next on the roster is, well, basically, I, I, I'm sure if you've gone to YouTube and, and checked you know, on, online for Star Wars fan films, uh, you've seen quite a few of them. The next person I talked to at Fan Expo was actually someone who was doing just that, uh, Star Wars fan films, and I wanted to ask him what it was like to actually do a film uh, like this, uh, why he was doing it, and uh, what he's learning while doing it. And it was a very interesting conversation. It's not very long, but it gives us a glimpse about that movie that is being made and uh, essentially uh, what you go through doing a Star Wars fan films. Is it finished yet or is it still in production? I think it's still in production. It should be coming out soon. It's basically a 
sort of like a, a story uh, involving various Jedi, and there'll be like some lightsaber fighting. That they're definitely uh, rehearsing their lightsaber fight scenes quite a lot. Um, it's probably really hard to rehearse. Um, well, to choreograph. Yeah, to choreograph. I mean, they they do a lot of choreograph. I mean, the person who's doing it uh, is interested in cinema and and, and has you know. Uh, an interest in filmmaking and I think that's pretty much like a proof of concept uh, in a way and you know if you're going to do something at least you might want to do something that you're interested in you know yeah I mean, if you are going to do the whole film school thing and learn how to uh, make pictures and position a camera and construct scenes and edit things together it might as well be fun yeah beat your friends with a candlestick let's hear this all right, so welcome back to the show. I'm here at Fan Expo 2010. I'm with Cal Drew, director of a new Star Wars fan film. Cal, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So tell us about your film. What's the title and what's the story? Okay, our film is Saber Legend, which is a Star Wars fan film. It's a short film, and it's basically a legend within the Star Wars universe. And it's being told. It's a story being told, and it's also being acted out. And there's a you know big lightsaber battle and everything like that. So. Well, lightsaber battles are a hallmark of all fan films. Uh, okay. did, did you win any kind of like lightsaber jewel uh, uh, fan film award? Or? Well, we haven't actually released the film yet, so we haven't uh, been able to do that yet. But our goal with this was to do the highest level choreography we possibly could. We spent four months working every week on the choreography. We choreographed, we did 250, over 250 moves. We memorized them and wrote them down on paper and, and rehearsed them before we shot it. So we spent a lot of time making sure our choreography was high level because I don't know if you've seen a lot of the other ones that are out there. Some of them are really, really good and we wanted to try to top what, what we can do. Like so. Ryan versus Dorkman? Ryan versus Dorkman 2 was the basically the, the kind of the inspiration that kind of got us started on this project. Um, and it's, it's the best out there, right? So we said, hey, what don't they have? that we can do creatively to kind of enhance, like make this better. Like let's, let's have full caution, let's have a story, let's have 3D animation in the background, let's do some lightsaber moves that people haven't seen before. And you're not afraid that Ryan and Dork might like, take offense that you're dwarfing them on this and then come up, because those, those guys are really nasty with lightsabers, I mean chopping well, each other's. You know, you know, Master Drogo's also pretty good, so I, you know, I, the white saber is powerful enough, I, you know, I'm not too afraid of other Jedi. Uh, but you know, if they challenge us, I, I, I don't know, I, I can't really say too much about that. <laughs> so uh, in terms of the shooting and everything, Shooting is done, and the, the fan film is really. Is it being released, or is it going to be released? It's going to be released today. We're showing a, a preview of it on Sunday um, at two o'clock, uh, and uh, we're going to release it at a later date. But we are going to show portions of the film today, and we're going to give you uh, basically an entire overview of the of the film and the process of making it. So. And uh, I guess it was a lot of CGI or stuff that you've done? Yeah, okay, in the film there are about almost exactly 300 shots total in the film. It's a 10 minute short, but of those 300 shots, almost all of them are visual effect shots. There's only like, in fact, every shot has some kind of visual effect in it. Uh, there are 260 uh, chroma key shots, which means the green screen background. So our actors are fighting in front of a green screen. and. Uh, and all those shots require full 3D backgrounds, okay? We also have animated lightsabers that uh, are in the scene. Um, and uh, so yeah, there's a lot, like a very, very heavy, heavy visual effects. If I can say one other thing, we shot the entire film in a, in a studio at a school, and we, had, we only had about 30 feet by 20 feet square to shoot in because we, we, we could only cover so much of the floor with green screen and the walls. So we make, we, our challenge was to make it appear that we're in a massive temple room and a massive uh, generator room when in reality we're in a very small area. 
So. All right. So obviously you're uh, one of the Jedi's. I got some cards are from your booth. I've got yeah. Echo Fox, uh, OG, uh, OG, yeah. OG. Yeah. Who are these people? Who are the characters in this movie? Okay. So let me let me kind of give you a brief overview here. OG is an old alien master, Jedi master, and uh, he is the caretaker of the white saber. Okay, that's the weapon of power in our film. Okay. Ren Wai is the young kid. He's not a Jedi yet, but he's like kind of you know into that you know kind of stuff. And they're sitting over like almost like over a hollow projector as if it's like a campfire. And Ogi is telling Renwai the story of the legend of the white saber. So when we so that's what it's framed in. And then we go into the story of the legend. And that's where I, my character Master Drogo, is fighting Darth Nevik, who's the bad guy, in the greatest lightsaber. We, we're, we're saying it's the greatest lightsaber duel this galaxy has ever known. That's the, kind of like our tagline, right? And uh, so I fight him. And then my Padawan is uh, Javin. He's my kind of assistant. And then Darth Nevik has Echo Fox, who is uh, his bodyguard slash droid character. So will you be showing this at other conventions? Uh, so when, once we have released the film, or once we have finished the, fi the final cut of the film, uh, uh, we will be uh, showing it as many places as we can. We're going to go to, we're going to send it out, we're just going to get it out there. Like, our goal right for this event has been to get here, to get the attention, like, to try to get attention, like, people's exposure, so that we can, future, in the future, get it as much distribution as we can. So, definitely, we definitely want to get it out there when it's done. Yeah. All right, so um, I guess one last question that most people would ask, and I guess uh, many people in your entourage must have asked you, why do it? And, and it, it, obviously, it's an amazing amount of work. Uh, it's, I, guess, I guess it's not for profit. You're just doing it for yeah. the love of it. Why go ahead and, and spend all this time and effort? This is just the love of the, of the genre. What drives people like you to make fan films like these? Okay, I would say... I, I'm a filmmaker at heart, and, and that's what I do. That's what I love to do. I can't. I haven't been able to to do it full time in terms of the finances. So for me, it's been a it's been a passion project because this is what I love to do. This is what I want to do. The finances for this project, I've I financed it myself. So the idea is that okay, let's put together this technical project. We're going to learn teamwork. We're going to learn to work with like a lar like a fairly large group of people. We've got to learn to solve problems. We've got to learn to do stuff that we've never done before. We're trying. None of us have ever done this before. So we want to expand our abilities, get to the highest level we can. With this, show people this, and say, "Hey, you know what? We want to do future projects. I have, you know, there are future things in the pipeline, but we need, you know, support from people. We need finances. We need investors. Whatever the case may be. So this is kind of like this piece was kind of almost like almost an experiment um, to kind of pay, like, kind of move into the future. You know what I mean? So yeah. But we love, we love, like, and we enjoy this. You know, the the whole fun of the Star Wars thing, and the, you know, it's it's not because I didn't make this film because I'm a super crazy Star Wars fan. Like I, I am, I am, like I like, I love Star Wars. Like you know, lots of people love Star Wars. I'm I'm not a super crazy fan. I'm not just one of these fans. It was like, you know what? I just, oh, I'm like so into it. Like I got, I know everything. Like I don't know all the history. I don't know everything. But you know what? Everyone, a lot of people love Star Wars. I like Star Wars. Why not make a Star Wars fan film and do like something really cool? You know? Do you think George Lucas will like it? I, I really, really hope so. <laughs> I, I really hope he he does get a chance to see it, and and I would that would be awesome. I, I would love to. You know what? Uh, yeah, that, that's kind of our, you know, I gotta tell you a funny story, okay? Um, we are doing our, chore our, our, our lightsaber choreography at, at the school, and we're in this room with our practice blades, and we're just doing all our, all our moves, right? And we see this guy in the window, like at the door, and we're like, it's George Lucas! 
And we're like, and we're like, we're like, because he looked, this guy comes up to the door, like, just his head pops in the window, and we're like, it's George Lucas. It was a guy, he, he, he just happened to look just like George Lucas, and we're like, George Lucas was here, but he wasn't there. But it was just a funny moment, you know. Um, How do you know he wasn't there? Maybe it was just maybe, like maybe he Jedi was, mind trick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Maybe he was there, and we will never know today. But um, yeah. I'm not the George Lucas you were looking for. <laughs> exactly. Maybe he has a body double or something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it was very fun talking to you, Cal. Um, for everybody, I guess, uh, do you have a website they can find more information about your film? Exactly. Yeah, saberlegend.com. Uh, there's information. There's pictures. There's uh, background information. Like tons of cool content. We're gonna have videos up there. Uh, we also have uh, we're gonna have a donation section on there for people who want to help us make this film because there is there are costs involved. We're not profiting from it. We're not selling it, but we do need money to make it happen. So you can check it out. And there's cool stuff there. Even if you just want to you know get some more information, uh, saberlegend.com. All right. Well, that was Kyle Drew from uh, saberlegend.com. So it's that uh, uh, new fan film that's uh, in the process of being made. And if you want some Metachlorian Overdrive, uh, well, that's what it is. Okay. Thank you so much. If you like this show, come on over to RPGpodcasts.com, where you'll find dozens more great role-playing podcasts. Okay, now, the uh, gaming guest of honor at Fan Expo 2010 was Mr. Robin D. Laws. That's right, Robin D. Laws, also known for his uh, uh, work, uh, including Feng Shui, and more recently, The Gumshoe System and Esoterrorist, was a guest of honor at Fan Expo 2010. We had a chance to talk to him just before one of his panels. Okay, and uh, what are some of the things that you talked about? Uh, we talked about a lot of things. Um, we talked about uh, his views on the future of the industry. Uh, we talked about writing in general. Uh, we asked him a few questions about his upcoming project, which he's working on the... Uh, on a new uh, RPG book, and uh, we've had uh, you know general conversation with him. He's a very nice person, and um, we unfortunately got a little bit uh, hustled near the end uh, yeah. due to an unexpected presence. Yeah, apparently there was something that interrupted the interview just for a short while. Well, you can hear the commotion. I mean, uh, we we start hearing some you know get out of the way, out of the way, out of the way type of thing, and uh, we were sort of like shoved aside the last minute. So. Uh, I mean, again, that was recorded at Fine Expo, so there's a lot of background noise, but... Um, we decided to leave that in. Yeah, we've had a very interesting uh, sighting, let's say, of um, William Shatner, who was also the guest of honor there. So he, he, you can say he's done a silent cameo on our radio program. That's right. So let's hear it. We're at Fan Expo 2010. Welcome back to Dicecast. I'm here with Robin D. Laws. Uh, Robin, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? Not bad, you? I'm doing great. It's a crazy year this year. It's been a while since I've been to Fan Expo, and it's completely slammed. Um, when was the last time you were at Fan Expo? Uh, probably like three, four years ago, maybe. The thing is, usually with Fan Expo, even though it's my a show, a show in my hometown, and even though the uh, gentleman who runs the gaming track is in my Thursday night game, I uh, quite often shirk my duties and do not appear here just because it's so close to Gen Con and so close to the film festival, uh, which I do every year. And so, uh, But this year there was a big gap between Gen Con and this, and I figured it was time to earn my, my uh, brownie points with Justin. So, so here I am, and it's like gigantic compared to the last time I was here. Well, yeah, the, it, the Gaming Expo has actually grown. I think the last time you were here was when the first year they had the Gaming Expo in 2005. 
Um, wasn't the first year, but it was still early days, and there was, you know, still sort of struggling to establish itself as an adjunct to this much bigger, gigantic, all-round media con. So, uh, but this year you can really see that everything's sort of running along, and there's sort of a coherent gaming space that you can see that all visually belongs together. And uh, apparently, you know, they could have more events if they just had room for them. So, I think the whole show's struggling with the size of the venue, and they'll have to, you know, maybe get both halves of the convention center next year or something. Well, it's interesting that uh, we're actually doing this interview just before the game industry panel, where, which you'll be sitting on, and um, I think a couple of years ago, with the D20 bubble sort of bursting, people were like doomsayers were saying the RPG and the gaming was was doomed for failure and disappearance like the dinosaurs, um, and it looks now that it's, it's actually booming back again. Do you think that that is correct? Uh, there's something I learned when I did the History of Gen Con book a while ago, ago called um, 40 Years of Gen Con, which is that throughout its history of steady and sometimes explosive growth, everybody always thinks the hobby game industry is dying. That's consistent across the board. They they always think it's dying, except you know during an explosive year, and then it's dying because it's too successful and we can't sustain it. So it's never dying. It's always changing, and the business model is changing, and uh, the way people who create tabletop games get them to uh, the people who play them is changing and will continue to change. But you know, as you say, you know, there's sort of a spark of growth now, and I think that's as much to do with the the new infrastructure, which is more an, an infrastructure of social media and internet access and direct sales through the internet, uh, is now sort of in place and mature and can support uh, a lot of really interesting creative things at a level that could not have been supported by the uh, three-tier system of manufacturer, distributor, brick-and-mortar, retailer. Now, do you think e-publishing is going to be growing faster and faster, or, or is are we going to go back to printing, or is there going to be a happy ground between the two? I think we're already seeing a happy ground between the two, because uh, one thing about geeks is they, uh, as much as they love ideas and creativity, they also like physical objects, which they can own and caress and put on their shelf and then take down from their shelf and caress a little more. And so people still love physical books. My precious. Yes, exactly. It, this whole show is a testament to the desire to own the precious. And uh, so I think we're still going to see uh, the electronic document and the physical document complement one another because there are situations in which one is more usable than the other. Um, certainly as tablets become more prevalent, you're going to see games moving onto tablet and you may see games change uh, to become sort of uh, have tablet be their home ground. And if that happens, there's an enormous realm of possibility for designers uh, so that you can, rather than just have a game book that you read on your tablet, if everybody at the table has a tablet and you can all communicate with one another wirelessly, that means you can create the game mechanics from the book and it becomes less of a book and more of an app and so rather than you know flipping to the page where the space combat system is you may be all dialing up the sub app that is the space combat system and directly inputting things as you play that out at the table and you know speaking as a game designer that's an incredible opportunity to do things because the uh, if you can sort of hide the complexity under the hood and have an app do all of the work for you there's all sorts of things that you know that I want to do now as a game uh, designer 
design or for tabletop games, but reject because they're too complicated. They require too much overhead for the, the group to run. But if an app is taking care of that overhead, that's a whole new generation of you know, tabletop tablet games that completely changes everything. Now mobile technology is, is really booming and um, as we've seen a lot a lot of the games mechanics of, uh, from you know the D&D which were adapted to uh, uh, video games and so on uh, really make it accessible to people. Do you think uh, that mobile um, uh, technology is going to be used more and more for games? I think absolutely so and it'll be part of mainstreaming games even the way that you know the growth of board games is mainstreaming games because it just seems less odd to someone to play a board game or to play a game on a mobile app or to play a socially networked game on a mobile app than it does to sit around a table and talk about what your imaginary characters are doing with each other, um, even though it's really the same experience. And so if you bring people into uh, you know, the role-playing uh, dynamic of the future through an app and then get them sitting at the table using an app, it suddenly makes sense to them in a way that it wouldn't have you know, 20, 30 years ago when you have to, exp you know, I travel every year to Gen Con, which means coming from my home here in Toronto, going through U.S. Customs and back through Canadian Customs. And it used to be I would say, oh, well, I'm going to this convention for the hobby games industry. And then there, I would have to explain what that is. And it's difficult enough to explain what a role-playing game is. And then to explain to a Customs official is an extra layer of complexity on top of that. Well, you know, now you just go, okay, well, I'm going to Gen Con. He says, oh, yeah, when's the next Neverwinter Nights coming out? So we're already seeing, you know, mainstream understanding of geekery uh, broaden out considerably. And I think apps are going to, you know, be another step in that progression. Why do you think the uh, people who are making this mobile technology from the Kindles and all that sort of thing and the apps, um, what do you think is going to be required if a game master wanted to use this in their game to basically just sit there and everybody sort of like, you know, instead of having everybody a, a laptop and all like, you know, synced in to, with the character sheet and so on, just sit there with their iPhones, I don't know. Uh, what do you think would be the, the requirements that somebody would need to do for and to, to basically allow this to be possible and what game designers could do to actually create games that could fit with that new way of playing tabletop role-playing games? Uh, well, I think you're going to see that happen, first of all. And so it's just a matter of uh, really actually the practical business uh, line of communication of somebody hiring me and giving somebody like me and a team enough money to do it, frankly. It's not difficult to envision how it works. You would, I think possibly the last technological step is being able to create a mini network that connects everybody at, at a table together. And I'm not enough of a techie to know if that's currently possible or would only be possible by throwing some more money at it. Um, but obviously that is technically possible in the sense of once someone does throw money at it, that'll happen. Um, and uh, if you look at what's already going on in games and uh, on the iPhone or iPad and the extent of the, you know, the animation and the use of physics and everything, it's all there. It's just a matter of putting the pieces together and getting the tabletop people working on uh, mobile applications. I mean, to some extent, we've seen that with uh, some of the old uh, uh, text-based adventure or even the choose-your-own-adventures that uh, got published, uh, like the Finding Fantasy have come to uh, being put on the iPhone, uh, or not iPhones, but anyway, mobile phones. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, do you think that there will be new material created that can be used, or do you think that we'll just keep just putting what was done previously for a new generation? Uh, 
somebody's got to do it because, I mean, the easiest thing to do to start out with is to just adapt the old stuff. But the old stuff, of course, is an import. It's not wasn't designed for the capabilities of the iPhone. It was designed for the capabilities of a lonely 12-year-old with a die in, sitting in his bedroom. Um, and so, if you if that's interesting enough to people, and I have a feeling it is, you know, the next step is the step of, uh, you know, doing things that that suit that medium rather than just adapting an old medium. Now, do you yourself use, uh, just still use pen and paper, or you, have, you start incorporating like computers and these apps like we discussed into your game? Because you, you, do, you are running a game like continuously. Right. Um, well, I'm still designing a pen and paper uh, role-playing game as we speak, and uh, although I do now have a laptop at the table where I keep the latest rules draft, and I do now use the Dice Nomicon app uh, to roll dice, uh, it's still not a matter of having uh, apps integrated with play because no such apps currently exist um, and they would you know obviously have to exist before I could use them. So um, what is this new game you're working on and can you tell us anything about it? Yeah it's called Ashen Stars. It's the new uh, gumshoe uh, space opera game uh, and so it takes the investigative play of uh, the other gumshoe games and takes them into the uh, bleak science fiction future. Um, if you look at an episode of your favorite space opera TV show, uh, it very much works on an investigative model where they have to find out information, find out more information that leads them procedurally to a final uh, discovery which often triggers a, a sort of a moral crisis or a question of the week and it integrates uh, you know various characters plot lines into it and so I'm you know now uh, building all of those things onto the gumshoe chassis. Any chances that people could use this system to run their own version of Star Wars or Star Trek uh, uh, or Battlestar Galactica and, adapt and, and sort of like use that system to play their own main game of that? Oh, absolutely. Now, obviously we don't own the rights to any of those super expensive popular properties, so you would have to do the work of, you know, figuring out in gumshoe terms what force powers uh, uh, do or what, uh, you know, what a Cylon stats are. But yes, you could super easily adapt any of those properties to uh, to Gumshoe using the Ashen Stars rules. So basically all the tinkerers out there who'd like to get a play a Star Trek game using that new system, well, they're going to have a field day. Yeah, they just have to figure out that uh, the spaceships, for example, in Ashen Stars are, are much smaller uh, than, say, the Enterprise would be. So you'd have to sort of jigger the numbers. Uh, you would actually leave the numbers in place and just describe it differently as if they're much bigger ships. So, um, so as a closing remark, I guess, uh, do you have any things that you, you say but never had the chance to say to anyone about the gaming industry or to people who read your books or uh, to publishers? Is there anything that Robin D. Laws has just been waiting all these years just to say and then um, sort of like a final closing remark? Excuse us, guys. <laughs> I think obviously the thing that I, I've wanted to say all these years is William Shatner. <laughs> uh, we were just uh, be booted out of the corridor that we're doing this interview by William Shatner. Um, and, uh, but his shirt wasn't ripped. Uh, no, his shirt was not ripped, but he did have a Gorn with him, so I didn't want to screw with him. Yeah, no, no, yeah, the Gorn did look like, yeah, you know, you don't want to mess with the Gorn. <laughs> no, but at all seriously, um, 
Uh, all seriously, I'm blessed with forums in which to spout off and uh, promulgate my philosophy. So uh, I, I'm not. Uh, th there's nothing that I'm holding back that I've not uh, given the audience. So there's, there's no book of, of Robin's Law. I, I believe I published that. <laughs> and if you want more of my opinions, you can check out my blog or Hamlet's Hit Points. And uh, there's there's no shortage of those uh, in book or internet forum. Okay. Now, just one last question. Um, what does the D stand for in Robin D? Laws. Uh, it stands for Dale. Uh, so uh, my uh, mother and father came up with a name that they wouldn't have to change uh, whichever way I came out. So if I had been a girl, I would also have been Robin Dale Laws. Perfect. Well, thank you, Robin, for being on the show. It was a pleasure talking with you. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks a lot. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Dicecast. Look next month for the electronic versions of Polymancer magazine, due to be released. Well, that's all the time we have for this segment. You can find out more about who we are and what we do at our website, www.polymancer.com, as well as our main corporate website, www.polymancerstudios.com. You can also keep in touch with us by emailing us directly at dicecast at polymancerstudios.com. Follow us on Twitter at Polymancer, on Facebook at facebook.com slash polymancer, and myspace.com slash polymancer. The music for this segment, Fort Minor, Remember the Name, BYFH Remix by Chojin, Violated Instrumental by Technetium, Industrial March Beat, and Triple Layer Guitar in E by Neurowax are all released under a Creative Commons license. This episode is copyright 2010 Polymancer Studios Incorporated, released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works license, the full text of which is available at creativecommons.org. This episode may be copied or redistributed so long as it is done free of charge in unmodified form and due credit is given to the copyright owner. Dicecast is a trademark of Polymancer Studios Incorporated. The word Polymancer is a registered trademark of Polymancer Studios Incorporated. Thank you for listening to the Dicecast. <laughs>